G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Stephen. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, where we're wrapping things up for the month of November, and my special guest is, well, you just heard him, it's Steve from New to Who. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm all right, mate. And you? It's, uh, yeah, I'm great, and all the better for being asked on the show. Thank you very much. I'm quite honoured yet again. Uh, that's quite all right. For our listeners out there, it is a election week in the state of Victoria, so Dave is just tied up with uh, party business and uh, can't be with us tonight. Understandable. Well, uh, Steve, we always like to kick off the uh, the monthly episodes with a bit of news, and I think we've both got uh, some, some news pieces to go through, so shall we rip into them? Yes, let's do that right now. Okie dokie. First one from me, and, and you might have some comments on this yourself. For the longest time, there was this rumour that there would be no Doctor Who Christmas special this year. And I used to counter that by saying, no, 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 at Comic-Con, Chibnall kept talking about making 11 episodes. There is another episode, and if it's not at Christmas, it's probably going to be at New Year. And what do you know? It's at New Year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, look, I'm not too fast. I'm not someone who sort of watches it on Christmas Day or, or Boxing Day for us in Australia, religiously anyway. So uh, the fact that it's seven days uh, later isn't too much of a difference. And I, could, I, I don't know, I kind of like the idea of waking up on after New Year's and, and uh, watching Doctor Who. It might be, might be nice. Yeah, look, I've, I've got no problem with it. In fact, I think back to when the second part of Tenant's Farewell was on New yes. Year's Day. I thought, that, I thought that was quite good. Yeah, yeah, enjoyed that too, yeah. I, I, I don't know, I mean, it's such a recent thing, isn't it, the whole Christmas Day uh, Doctor Who thing? Um, and maybe it's because like we're old school nerds and we didn't really grow up with it. It doesn't really make too much of a difference. Well, that's what I think it is, Steve, because a lot of the people online are saying, it's tradition, my God, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this, this was never a tradition, guys. What are you on about? <laughs> yeah, it's a new Who tradition, I guess. Um, yeah, but yeah. I can understand that uh, that side of things as well. But no, personally, I'm not too fussed. And yay, we get a, an 11th episode. Fantastic. Yeah, looking forward to it. So so I've got one here as well. And mm-hmm. uh, it regards, uh, well, one of my favorite doctors, Peter Capaldi. He's joined yes. the cast of Watership Down. Um, and it's I don't know, that's quite an amazing cast. There's Roy, Rory Kinnear's in it. Uh, they've got um, Tom Wilkinson, who I think I've yeah. mentioned previously. Um, and I understand that Ben Kingsley is also part of it. So he's joining quite a cast here. And Watership Down, one of those, oh, I don't know, beautiful sort of stories from childhood that I can recall. And I think there might have been like a 1970s cartoon version. So I think they're trying to update that. Um, so, yeah, it looks pretty good, right? It, I think so. It's the movie that a lot of kids from the 70s say traumatised them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can understand so, why. So I don't know if this new version will be uh, a bit softer on today's uh, softer kids or, or whether oh. it will traumatise a whole, a whole new generation. Oh, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm guessing that it's going to be pretty sort of straight down the middle. But Peter Capaldi's got the, um, the part of the black-headed gull called Kiha. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see what that's like. Yeah, no, very very good. I'm I'm looking forward to that when it comes out. Yeah, I'll check it out for sure. Yeah, quick one from me. This is just kind of a silly one uh, for people who like the new series eleven tune, and I think a lot of people do. Uh, you can now go on YouTube, and there is a ten hour loop <laughs> of the theme. And this isn't just some fan doing this. This is like the BBC's done it. So you know, fill, fill your boots, people. I love the sense of humour and the BBC showing their memes there as well. That's great. I'm a big fan of Sega Nakanola. I don't know if I, if I mentioned it previously, but I'm really enjoying the new theme. I like the new theme. I like it a lot. Um, mm. There was some speculation as to whether it was tweaked between the first and second episodes and that kind of thing. I've not gone back and checked. Uh, neither have I. No, okay. No. I didn't hear that. No, no. There's some, some folks on a podcast were talking about that and I thought, oh, I should check that. And of course I haven't. Um, but just in general, his um, incidental music's been quite different to Murray Gold. So, I mean, that makes it good in a way because it's something new and fresh. But mm. I think it's new and good and fresh in its own ways regardless. Yeah, 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 I agree. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Murray Gold. I think he did some amazing uh, sterling work for um, the Russell T Davies and, and Moffat eras. But Seganakanol is sort of more incidental underscoring, takes me back to maybe sort of you know, classic Doctor Who uh, soundtracks as well. So uh, I'm really enjoying the change too. 
And you know, people people lambaste Murray like, oh, he's telling me to emote and all this. But I, I was playing some of his music in the car recently. I thought this is a really pretty piece of music. This mm. this is this is really talented. This is really good. <laughs> You know, yeah, and I'm glad yeah. we had him. We, yeah. You know, maybe he stayed a little too long. Maybe I would have liked to have seen more variety over the years. But hey, we had him and he did some great stuff. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Okay, so I've got one here as well. And it's actually from mm. the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, and it's, uh, I guess, an interview um, with both the writers, um, a, a writer and director of the latest episode. So Pete McTighe, who's actually a, a fellow Australian and, and a fellow Doctor Who fan from, from youth, um, he yeah. actually wrote Kablam! as an episode. Um, what did you think of that, by the way? Well, sounds like you haven't listened to our episode yet, Steve. <laughs> I haven't had a chance, <laughs> I must admit. Uh, briefly, I thought it was quite good, quite solid, gave it a 7.5 out of 10, almost an 8, and Dave gave it a 9 out of 10. Oh yeah, okay. Wow, that's Dave that's... really liked it. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I thought it was very good. I don't know if it's nine out of ten. Um, I'm probably more on your side of the the scoring. I'd say. Mm. Dave did admit, you know, when I look back at this in a week or so, maybe I'll change my mind. But right now, nine out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that straight after this. I think. Yeah, he's very effusive about it. Yeah. Okay, and we also um, have uh, an interview here with uh, part of the same article with Jennifer um, Parrott, who's also directed the fifth episode, um, the Taranga Conundrum, which I did definitely hear you guys take your ta- your guys take on that. Um, and yeah, it's just a nice little piece. I think you know, from uh, an Australian point of view, it's lovely that you know people are involved in the show, and obviously we've had Australians involved previously with the show too. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's a beautiful little photo of Pete McTighe, <laughs> age date, standing next to the TARDIS prop. And even now, it kind of makes me dream, well, maybe one day, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to think this is possibly the first time. I mean, we've had, as you say, Australians involved with the show before. Mm. But possibly the first time the writer and director of the same episode are yeah. Australians. Yeah, no, I think for sure. I, I, don't, I can't recall that being the case previously, yeah. Yeah, and, and just on that sort of tip, not not involving Australians, but just uh, with regard to writers and directors, I think later this series we might have a female writer and female director working together, and that's the first time since Enlightenment that that's happened. <sighs> now, we did Enlightenment for New to Who a long while ago now, <laughs> one of my favourite episodes. We did, with me. <laughs> fantastic, yeah, we, we did, it was a great episode. Um, okay, I didn't know that, I'll look forward to that one, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I recall seeing that. I was I was looking through um, upcoming episodes, and I thought, oh, I don't think that's happened. Yeah, since Enlightenment. Yeah, yeah. No, I loved Enlightenment, so hopefully it's it's a precedent. Yeah, and actually, now that I look it up on the uh, the internet, it is actually the next episode, The Witchfinders. It's directed by oh. Sally um, Aprahamian and written by Joy Wilkinson. Okay, great. No, that sounds good. I'm looking forward to that, and goes back to. I guess, a period of history that I'm quite interested in as well. So, wow, great. Yeah, well, look, you and Dave both, he is a, uh, actually a, a student legitimately mm. of that period of history. <laughs> uh, so I said to him, well, you're going to lead the conversation next week. You know all about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks great. And it's, it's James I, that, that era, right? The Jacobean era. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really involved in that um, from a sort of literary Shakespearean point of view. I did that way back in uni days. So, yeah, definitely looking yeah. forward to that. Oh, good times. (laughs) Well, that wraps it up for the news. And what we're going to do now for the rest of the episode is go through a lot of listener email. Mm. People have been sending us email over the past month. And we always use the short stuff on the uh, the weekly shows. But the the longer emails we save for these monthlies. Um, We've got a couple of general emails that might have some interesting stuff in there for you and I to tease uh, tease out. Sure. Then we have a whole bunch of comments on Arachnids in the UK, Saranga Conundrum, Demons of the Punjab, and a couple of comments already on Kablam. And that'll give us a chance to talk about those episodes again, Uh, give you a chance to talk about them on the show for the first time, I guess, Steve. And we'll see see where it takes us. Lovely. Let's go. All righty. Uh, this first email comes from Tim Allman. Hello, gentlemen. Long-time listener. Well, long-ish. First-time caller. I thought <laughs> I might chip in with my two pennyworth about the current state of Doctor Who, since everyone else seems to be doing likewise. Apologies in advance if this is a bit rambling and incoherent. It's late at night and I am tired. 
Okay, Tim, we'll we'll excuse you for that. I'm not going to lie, says Tim. I was a bit of a sceptic about the idea of a female doctor. I wasn't massively opposed to the idea. I never swore not to watch the show again, but I simply felt there was no good dramatic reason for the doctor to suddenly change gender. It struck me as a bit of a gimmick, but I also knew I would watch the new series, give the new doctor a chance, and was open to persuasion. I was also a bit of a Chibnall sceptic. I've never seen Broadchurch, so my only experience of his writing was Doctor Who and Torchwood. I didn't think his stuff was terrible, just a bit mediocre, a bit generic. Adequate. I was a big fan of the Moffat era. I loved Matt Smith and adored Peter Capaldi. I was tremendously excited at the prospect of Stephen Moffat taking over when his appointment as showrunner was announced. My reaction to Chibnall's appointment was a little more underwhelming. This is the point where you would expect me to announce after spending several paragraphs explaining my trepidation about the impending arrival of the new regime that I had now seen the light and was joyously flying the flag for all new Who. Afraid not. I don't dislike the show. In many ways, it's a great leap forward. It looks fantastic. In fact, I would argue it's never looked better. Filmic. Rich textured there's been some lovely direction the new title sequence is great arguably the best since the show came back the remix theme is really good i have less to say about the incidental music i never notice incidental music i didn't when murray gold did it i don't now it's just a personal failing on my part The casting is strong. All the supporting players are fine, warm, likeable characters. In Karen Gillan and Jenna Coleman, Stephen Moffat cast arguably the two most beautiful women who have ever graced the show. Ooh, I'm going to pull him up there and say, oh, Mary what Tam. about Mary Tam? Ah, snap! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But neither Amy nor Clara were particularly appealing characters. Bill was a bit better. The new crew are easy to like. As for the new Doctor, well, hmm, I'm still not convinced. The fact she's a woman doesn't bother me in the slightest. Almost no mention has been made of the fact on screen, and it does seem irrelevant. I would think there are potentially thousands of old-school Doctor Who fans who must be thinking to themselves, why was I ever worried? Hmm. To some extent, you can count me as one of them. No, the fact the new Doctor is a woman is just totally beside the point. But the characterization, the performance, is still uncertain. I think she might grow on me, but at the moment, I'm still not sure. Okay, yeah, I I take that point. But I think um, with the female Doctor, what's most important is, I guess, the representation of the the Doctor being a female. Um, And I keep Mm. saying representation is reality. So in that regard, yeah, I, I get it. You know, why was I ever worried? I think, you know, I think a lot of people have sort of come around to that, but... You know, I just keep thinking about that. You know, the the reactions that we have on on Twitter of you know little girls sort of, you know, squealing with joy when when they found out that the the doctor was going to be a woman. I th- I thought that was really important. So I think that's probably the main reason why, rather than it being a gimmick or anything like that. Yeah, I think it's worked out just fine. Um, yeah. One of one of my concerns, which was an odd concern before Jodie even started, was, well, what does this mean for the doctor after Jodie? Do we do another woman, or does it become girl guy girl guy girl guy from now on oh, or, okay yeah you know how, how are things gonna you know pan out in the future does the doctor just become a woman now for the next five regenerations or you know i started thinking ahead a bit too much because i'm really fanish like that <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that jody was coming along didn't bother me at all i just think they they'll, they just need to cast whoever's the right person at the right time i guess um so whether that's a woman or a man i'm not really bothered to be honest yeah things will shake out for sure yeah. Anyway, uh, Tim continues. So what's my problem? In short, the writing, the approach, the philosophy. It's my suspicion that Chibnall's take on the show is just not one I like, one I'm not comfortable with. His Doctor Who is not my thing. It's more straightforward, more accessible, more unsurprising. Perhaps this is a good thing. Perhaps Moffat's take was just too clever, clever, too daunting for a disinterested viewer. The viewing figures seem to suggest this is true. Mm. But I liked it. I preferred it to what I've seen so far. At its best, there was a sparkle, a magic in Moffat's work, and RTDs for that matter, that Chibnall's stuff just doesn't have, at least not in my opinion. Hmm, that is a good point. I think I've got a few ideas around that. I might talk to those later, but I think that's a really valid point in terms of the way that it can be perceived. 
Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I think you know the point's really well made that there's a number of, of people who are engaging with this. It might be a younger audience, and I'm, I'm certain it's also a female audience that probably wouldn't have if it was just another guy doctor. So I am mixed, but I do take the point. Yeah, I've, I've seen it mentioned a lot too. People are, are saying these stories are a lot simpler, a lot more basic, but at the same time, I acknowledge that a lot more people seem to be watching them, so yeah. maybe that just appeals broadly. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Tim continues, also, there's a seriousness and earnestness that just doesn't appeal. Again, maybe the problem is with me. Perhaps this new Doctor Who is necessary for a bigger, more widespread audience. Maybe I'm wrong and the millions who are tuning in each week are right. So that's my take on the new Doctor Who. It's fine, it's watchable, but I fear it's never going to be anything more than that. Think back to the truly great episodes of New Who, like Dalek, Father's Day, The Empty mm. Child, Midnight, Listen, yeah. Heaven Sent. Does Chibnall have it in him to write something of that scope, that weight, that stature? Nothing he's done so far suggests he does, but who knows, maybe he'll surprise me. I'd like to think so. I mean, I also know Chibnall from United and The Great Train Robbery, and there's an enormous sort of understanding, and Broadridge as well, I suppose, there's enormous understanding of the human condition that he's able to convey in his writing. It's quite beautiful in places. And they're also really, really well plotted and interesting uh, pieces of drama as well. So I don't, I don't want to write him off just yet. You know, we've seen a handful of episodes from him. Some have been decent, some not so much. I get the point, you know, there's, there's, I guess, evidence in terms of Torchwood or, you know, some of the Doctor Who episodes that he's written that you can point to. I don't know. I, I just, maybe more in hope than in expectation, I kind of feel like there's something on the horizon that's going to surprise us. Do you think he's a choker? Do you think he's like Greg Norman, who was, you know, such a great <laughs> golfer, but every time he got to a major, he'd just choke? And, oh. you know, Chibnall, Chibnall can write all these original stories great, but he gets his favourite show in his hands and he's like, <gasps> choke. I hope that's not the case, Rob. I really do. <laughs> Tim rounds out his email. This all seems fairly negative on my part, and I apologise for bringing the mood down. Um, that's why we started with you, Tim. It can only go up from here. Yeah. Um, but, but with Doctor Who, there's always the promise of something new on the horizon. Maybe this incarnation will grow on me. Maybe I'll learn to love it. Or maybe it's not for me. But a lot of people didn't like Moffat's take, and I loved it. I'll still be watching, though, and hoping. Regards mm. from Tim. Thank you, Tim, for that email. Cheers, Tim. Yeah, that's that's quite a considerate uh, email, actually. Um, I think I agree with a number of those points. Um, I I don't want to, as I say, sort of give up hope just yet. I I think that um, you know it's Doctor Who, and I'll always watch it. I I loved Moffat. I loved RTD. In fact, there's you know pretty much every era of Doctor Who is is something that I absolutely adore, and I'm I'm willing to give you know this latest incarnation both on screen and off uh, that that benefit of the doubt as well, because as I say, it's still quite early doors. I think he raises a number of really good points, Tim. I think you've got you've got at the heart of it i think ultimately the writing which maybe isn't quite as strong as we have seen in the past or at least in that particular style but mm. i'm open to to seeing where this goes yeah look me too i mean we're we're seven episodes through the series three to go at the end of it i think we can turn around and and start to reevaluate and see where things are at and start to dream about what the next series might be like yeah, I think that's probably it, isn't it? We need to see the series as a totality before we can make a judgment on it. Um, and we're getting sort of glimpses and ideas as, as to how it's going. But, you know, uh, I have to admit that the first time I saw Series 1 of Doctor Who with Chris, Christopher Eccleston, I felt a little bit underwhelmed on a week-by-week -week basis. And it wasn't until we sort of got to the end with The Parting of the Ways, for instance. You know, even six months later, I was able to say, oh, my goodness, what was I What was I thinking? Was I just being far too critical or was I expect? And maybe this is more to, uh, more to the truth. Maybe I was just expecting something else and he wasn't living up to those expectations. And that's mm. why I was disappointed. So, mm, I don't know. Not yeah, it's tricky. With Eccleston, I was underwhelmed for about the first half and then yeah. Dalek came along. And sure. I was like, oh, oh, that was actually quite good. <laughs> and... You know, then there was like Empty Child Doctor Dancers and things like that. So <gasps> that was really good too. And then, of course, the final two-parter was amazing. So yeah. it, it did hit some peaks for me during the series. And, and I guess, look, I think this series has hit some peaks in, in Rosa. Mm -hmm. And I think Demons of the Punjab was pretty yeah, good. And, and I didn't mind Kablam. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so I've got one and it's from Shane Rofe. And he mm. says, 
G'day, in very Australian style. I've often praised <laughs> you two, which <laughs> means yourself, Rob, and Dave, not myself. And sometimes <laughs> contribute, and sometimes you contribute as you have. So maybe that includes me for your wonderful. That could podcast. include you, Steve. <laughs> and your even-handed approach, which I have to uh, say here, here too. I think uh, you guys are probably one of the most even-handed um, sort of podcasts out there, particularly in your reaction casts. Uh, Shane goes on to say, I'm not going to change, and I still believe it. However, I have uh, said I sometimes disagree with your views, and that's fine too. We're not all built the same way. But I did get a bit hot under the collar listening to your Taranga Conundrum podcast, for I quite liked it, and you were both a bit meh. I really liked the pregnant <laughs> chat too, and again, he didn't give uh, he didn't get much love from either of you, and I was about to go all keyboard warrior and send <laughs> off an email condemning your views and blah, blah, blah. But then... Dave said something, and I thought it was brilliant. You pointed out how maybe if you just watch this show for fun, it may not have been so bad. But because you're both focused on doing reviews, you have to pick it apart a bit. I can tell neither of you want to diss the show, but you have to uh, dissect episodes and find out what's right and wrong. I have no such constrictions. I've been absolutely loving this series, but I'm not writing reviews for it. Sure, I'll send in these emails, but uh, these are more correspondence rather than critical reviews. I just hope that if others are listening and getting angry with you, that they uh, realize you're not condemning the program, you're simply analyzing it. That's a really good point, yeah. As for others who are dissing the show, maybe they need to ask themselves, are you watching it for fun or are you critically reviewing it? To me, Doctor Who, well, any sci-fi or fantasy come to that is purely entertainment and this current series is delivering to me in spades. That's not a bad point, actually. I I, I kind of find myself uh, watching Doctor Who in a very sort of critical way and picking it apart. I still love it, but Mm. I guess my my agenda is different to to especially the casual viewer who'd just be tuning in and, and wanting an hour's worth of good telly. Yeah, absolutely, because there are other programs I watch... Uh, I finished Sense8, for example, this uh-huh. evening. I finally got around to watching the final two-and-a-half-hour uh, conclusion to Sense8. And um, I just thought that was fun and enjoyable. And mm-hmm. if I analysed it like I analysed these Doctor Who episodes, I'd be like, oh, that didn't make sense. Oh, that jumped ahead <laughs> a bit there. Oh, what was all that about? Oh, the music. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> but I, I didn't think that at all. I just watched it and went, ah, that was pretty good. Mm. You know, it might depend on the show for some people. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Shane goes on to say, Finally, a quick rundown of the TARDIS crew. I'm still Team Graham. <laughs> Love the guy. Yay. Having seen the British version of The Chase when Channel 7 would flog it here, that's in Australia, I wasn't expecting uh, much from him, but he's knocking it out of the park each week. <laughs> Imagine if Larry Emger became a Doctor <laughs> Who companion. <laughs> I'd rather not. <laughs> I, I thought I'd go for a bit more contemporary than Baby John or Tony Barwa. That is such an Australian reference. I think we might have to explain that sometime. But uh, I, game I show hosts. I threw Grant Denyer in that episode as well. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I've, I've come around to Ryan much, much more. I was a bit put off by Ryan at first due to some interviews I'd seen Tosin Cole in, but I'm over that now. Uh, my only issue with Ryan from Kablam was that he said they hardly had any time to scratch themselves in the area he was working in, yet he seemed to spend good chunks of time <laughs> leaning back having a chat. <laughs> Almost true, makes him good enough to work here in Australia. Well done, son. <laughs> Give it to the upper management. Uh, look, despite your sound criticisms of the lack of character building for Yaz, I still like her as a companion. I don't know what it is, but I just like her energy and willingness to get stuck in. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, we've said before and others have said before as well, she's very much like a Nyssa companion. And I, I quite like Nyssa, particularly with the Fifth Doctor. So, um, And again, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give this series and the character a chance. So, Yeah, with Yaz, I, she hasn't I like given her. not much yet, has she? But yeah, she's, she's just so likeable. Yeah, that's precisely it. I like her. She just mm. hasn't been given a yeah, lot. Yeah, me too. And, and exactly. at times when she gets given something, like she'll have a, a talk to Ryan and, you know, whether it was in the Rosa Parks episode Love that or even bit, in yeah. Kablam, you know, yeah. some of their, their chats in Kablam, it's like, oh, they, they'd they make a good couple, but they're not really coupling here. Uh, ooh, <laughs> this is an interesting relationship, but it just doesn't go far enough sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I'm just hoping that we get a Yaz-centric episode. I think with Arachnids, we saw her family, uh, and also with Demons of the Punjab as well, obviously her her grandmother. Um, And that was great in terms of colouring in her backstory. But her herself, I don't think we've actually got anything, except for maybe a few scenes in The Woman woman Who Fell, don't you think? 
yeah, we got to see her at work there, obviously. Yeah. Um, in Kablam, we got to see her put a, you know, a, a good uh, grip on some guy, you know, twisted his arm behind uh, his yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. You know, it's like some police training coming out. But yeah, just just a bit more, because I think she could be quite interesting. But so far, mm, she's not there. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Shane goes on to say, and I'm still a big fan of the Doctor. It was annoying that she's still having trouble with the new TARDIS. Really? After all this time? Is that an indication, though, that, like herself, the TARDIS doesn't really know who this Doctor is yet? This is interesting. I still get the feeling this Doctor has been written as a previous incarnation and that the scripts have just been given to Jodie to work with. I can't wait to see her second series to see where she really lands. Having said that, though, I thought she was very doctory here. Apart from a few hiccups, she was driving the solution to the problem. And sure, it was a Sonic's Deus Ex Machina (laughs) triumph once again, but at least it was the Doctor that thought of it. Plus, we had some resolution at the end with the managers acknowledging an aftermath. So this is a really good point, and I'm not sure where I read this, but I understand that um, in terms of the writers that Chibnall hired for this season series rather um that they weren't told when they started writing that it was going to be a female doctor and that they i guess you know sort of adopting the terence dicks approach that the doctor is the doctor and you just write for the doctor um Mm. do you reckon maybe that's that's what shane's hit upon here do you think look it could well be um i have got to say i've i believe in that uncle terence line about you just write the doctor yeah you know i I can see that because i think actors can bring themselves into the role you know, and the Doctor's lines are the Doctor's lines. So that is interesting. Yeah, because I think Chibnall would have kept that to his chest for quite a long time mm. and they would have been writing before before then. Yeah, yeah, he would have had to, definitely. But I like Shane's point um, around, you know, the second series often being the one where we really get to see the Doctor. And that goes all the way back. You know, you, you think about even like Tom Baker in, in, seri- in season 12, um, and then the, how the sort of confidence and the, the character sort of emerges in, in season 13 with with uh, Liz Sladen. That's actually a really good point. Um, so maybe mm. that's something to look out for for next season. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so Shane then uh, wraps up by saying, well, that's my two cents worth again. By the way, I'm happy with the New Year's Day special rather than Christmas, uh, if that is indeed true, which it sounds like it is. So it, it doesn't is. interrupt the Boxing Day test. <laughs> I missed my first Ashes Boxing Day since 1990 last year, but I did go see Twice Upon a Time in air-conditioned comfort at the cinema. This year, I will be at the test, so no Doctor Who at Christmas suits me just fine. Cheers. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> is that the most Australian email you guys have ever got? I think it could be. Well done, Shane. That's one. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, look, uh, it does seem confirmed. New Year's Day is, is the day. And so, yeah, enjoy the cricket. Mm. Now, we've got uh, more emails from uh, Shane and some other listeners uh, going back now to Arachnids in the UK, Saranga Conundrum and so on. So, I'll, I'll kick off this one. We're mm-hmm. going back to Arachnids in the UK. Shane Rofe, again, says, mm-hmm. Arachnids in the UK. I listened to your hot take of this episode and you pretty much nailed most of my opinions of the episode and even raised some I hadn't thought of. Like, yeah, why wasn't there any establishing shots of a general panic in the wider community? Mm, Yeah, Yeah, that was what I was saying on the podcast. I thought Mm -hmm. it just would have been so simple to do. That's right. Uh, Simple ideas like two cars crashed, as you guys suggested, would have been perfect. I thought it was a fine middling episode. I felt like we have really got into this new TARDIS crew and new Doctor and now it's just down to having weak adventures we're finally over that regeneration hump i will say though that the big tick i gave it was the fact that this show once again made me feel compassionate for something i didn't think i could show sympathy for i'm arachnophobic Mm. about spiders and yet at the end (laughs) i actually felt sad for the giant queen Mm. it reminded me of dalek yeah doctor who has this amazing ability to sometimes reach into your heart and wrench out emotions for the most vile of creatures and to me that's the strength of the show how regularly it emphasizes that every living thing despite its politics or beliefs has a valid right to existence even in total opposition to our own brilliant stuff Oh, I also love Ryan's shadow puppets in the laboratory. (laughs) (laughs) And although I agree, it probably took too long time-wise in wrapping up this episode. I loved how this new bunch of companions decided to join the Doctor for further adventures. 
I had not really seen that way of coming on board before, and I liked it. Mm. They had a taste of her life already and thought, yeah, that's what we'd like to do. Very original. Mm. Yeah, that was a nice way to finish it. Like yourselves, I I found this one a little bit underwhelming as well, uh, and Shane uh, sort of hits upon some great points there. Um, It's kind of a bit too self-contained. You know, as you say, the general panic um, wasn't you know properly properly established. We didn't get to see the spiders outside of a couple of locations, really. Although I did think it started really well. Yeah, Dave thought it started well too. That was one of his big points. Um, but then it all just sort of fell apart. For me, it's probably the weakest story of the series so far. Mm. I was very disappointed with it. And yeah. you know, you had you had the Trump light guy who was opposed to Trump but acted like Trump, and oh god, yeah. Just... <laughs> Yeah. I won't be watching it again anytime soon. No, I don't think it'll stand up to reviewing in the near future. Um, okay, so regarding episode five, the Taranga conundrum, um, mm. Peter Dedman's written in. He says, to be honest, the only conundrum I was thinking about by the end was, how can Chris Chibnall seemingly write the same story four times so far without someone reining him in? <laughs> a little unfair, maybe. Because there's no one to rein him in, that's why. <laughs> yeah, a little unfair, maybe. But this episode was just so bland to my mind. The monster was cute, but was there just through happenstance. The guest cast was functional, except the pregnant man, and the regulars continued on as usual. Once Astos perished through extreme stupidity, I found very little to like in the other guests. The pregnant man story existed only to be an important lesson for Ryan, but was painfully acted. The doctor was good, if manic. Uh, I think this is her personality now, which I don't mind. And Graham was also on par. Yaz was in the episode? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, she got to shoot a laser gun, but I'd I'd have completely missed she was present otherwise. Uh, overall, a rather forgettable episode. I think um, more and more people are sort of expressing that view. I definitely have that view as well. It's kind of it was fine, um, and it was sort of monster of the week. But but again, probably not one that I'll go back to rewatch in a hurry. Yeah, it's it's interesting that um, you know obviously Peter wrote this the week the the story went out, mm. and he said that the Doctor was good if manic. This might must be her personality now. I'd say in Kablam, she didn't act like this at all. So her personality has still been changing since these earlier yeah. episodes. Yeah, no, that's a good point actually. Yeah, yeah, which is which is something I don't mind because the manic thing. Oh look, it's a couch. Oh, I wish I owned a couch. You know, have I owned a couch? Oh, blah, 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 blah. oh no, you know, we've we've done that before. It's kind of Smithy. It's kind of Tenedy. You know, be be your own person, Jody. Yeah, but also, I mean, they're, they're both written by Chris Chibnall, both Taranga and Arachnids, and you sort of think, why is there such a, a tone there? A difference in the tone? I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm I'm hoping that we sort of get. Uh, I don't know a more consistent approach to the Doctor. I, I still don't feel like I understand her character just yet. Yeah, look, me, me either. She's she stopped saying on screen, "Oh, I don't know who I am yet," sort of thing. But mm. really, as the audience, we still don't know who she is yet. Not, not quite. I mean, I might talk about this later, but I think there's been a lack of a defining moment. Um, you know, whether that's sort of like Eccleston in Dalek, or, uh, or you know, something along those lines, where it's just sort of like, okay, I understand who this Doctor is, or no second chances. You know, in 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 uh, mm. Tennant's very first episode. I, I don't know if we've had something as, as you know, d- defining a moment for, for Jodie Whittaker's Doctor just yet. Do you think it's because the villains have been lacklustre? Um, there's a part of that. I'm not so sure it's down to the villains themselves. I've got a few other views in terms of what might be sort of holding this back in terms of the way in which the stories are being played out. Look, I might save that for a little bit later because um, I, okay. <laughs> I think we should get on with the letters. But, yeah, no, I think you've got a point there, yeah. Okay. Also on the Saranga Conundrum, Shane Rofe says, I really, really enjoyed this one. So far, this is my favourite Chibnall-written episode. Okay, well, all right. Yeah. Look, I didn't mind the first two, but they had the burden of being fairly introductory stories. That's episode true. four was a bit meh. It was okay, <laughs> but just didn't hit the high marks. This one I loved. I found it very hard to fault, and I'll be very interested in your hot take to see if you raise anything that... I may have not noted after my first viewing. Well, I hope you've heard it by now, Shane. I felt like we had an understanding of each of the supporting characters without delving too deeply into their life story, but at the same time, not just sweeping over them so you didn't care if they lived or died. The male medic hardly knew anything about him, but he had already portrayed enough to make me genuinely concerned for him as he was jettisoned into space and then met his doom. 
That takes some writing and some great acting and direction to do that in such a short time. I tell you what, I love stories that drop you right smack bang into an adventure too. Okay, the Doctor and friends were only searching a junk planet, but why were they there? Was it part of some other adventure they were involved in? It really gives me a sense that there is a life for these people outside of just what we see on TV each week. The same goes for the end. Great, they'll be transported back to the TARDIS, but we just have to assume that. Who knows what adventures they might have on Rhesus, or whatever the planet was called. I do just want to touch on the Yaz subject again. <laughs> I agree. She is, so far, underutilised and seemingly a third wheel. But I'm really liking her. Graham is, by far, still my favourite, and Ryan is consistently brilliant each week as we learn a little more about his backstory. The death of his mother scene was so well done by Tosin, mm. I'm really liking him as an actor. But I am increasingly a big fan of Yaz. Okay, so we know she is frustrated by her family, who isn't, frustrated by her job and what she thinks she could be doing, who isn't, she's Muslim and has to deal with all sorts of presumptions and discrimination, is very optimistic, talking the doctor up at the end of the ghost monument, for example, can apply her investigative skills, keen to learn and also doesn't mind showing off her own knowledge of people, place and events. She's obviously attracted to Ryan without being overtly heavy-handed, and she's willing to chip in and help out with anything required of her at the drop of a hat. Plus, she ain't too bad at football, drop-punting the pating down the corridor in this episode. <laughs> so far, we've gotten all this about her without Yaz really being the focus of any attention. To me, that makes her a very well-rounded and great companion. Oh, that's not a bad point, and I definitely see how all of this comes together, but it comes together in disparate little bits and chunks rather than, you know, a full story that's devoted and centred around her, which is, I think, what really what the character really needs. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, it is interesting, as I was reading through that, I thought, oh, yeah, we do know that, and we do know that, and she yeah. did do this, and she did do that. And so we can actually piece together Yaz, but it just doesn't have that... I don't know, is it the cherry on top of just having a really good story with her in it? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's it, isn't it? I mean, to to really sort of get to grips with the, the companion or really sort of have all of those things pay off, uh, they need to sort of be at the centre of a story. And I think we've kind of got that um, for, the, for you know most of the other companions, but mm, Yaz has just sort of always been at the periphery. Yeah, and it's interesting because I thought Demons of the Punjab would be her episode because... It was her family and her idea yeah. to go back. And, yeah. you know, it was her timeline that could be affected by what was going on. And it still seems she just stood in the background and looked wistfully at the the nanny and, mm. and didn't do as much as everyone else in the same episode. True. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Speaking of Demons of the Punjab, uh, yes. we had Katrina write in. She says, hi, gents. Well, I'm busy wiping egg off my face after the three episodes that have been some of the best of New Who have proved me wrong in my opinions. Rarely am I so happy to be wrong. Do you ah. notice that Demons of the Punjab may be one of the most subtle acknowledgements of the century uh, of the end of World War II and the price of violence and revolution on the innocent? Uh, the former warriors who maintain a memorial for the unknown dead, which architecturally and practically reflects the tomb of the unknown soldier and the eternal flame. I found it was appropriate both for 11th of November and capturing the emotion and tragedy of the violence of partition. That's a really good point. This approach was more direct, but also more subtle than Death in Heaven, which when using World War I poetry as its theme. An excellent story with many layers in a seemingly simple story. Possibly my favourite Doctor Who story of the past 30 years, says Katrina. Wow, that's high praise. And look, it, it makes me wonder, there were, you know, there were things like poppies in the episode and it did go mm. out, you know, 11th of November and such. Mm. I wonder if that was really planned because you think these schedules move around a bit when they're planning things a year, year and a half out. Mm. Are, they, are they really saying, we will make this episode, it will go out at this week and that will be on the 11th of November? Or was it just happenstance? You look, know, I, I, I don't know how that works. I think if done right, they could definitely do that. Um, you, you know, the, the the point that you raise about the poppies and on the 11th of November, plus, you know, the themes of the war and, um, you know, in this case, the partition as well and the effects on people. Um, I don't know. I think I think they could possibly have intended that. Mm, quite possibly. And, you know, as Katrina says, it was a very subtle acknowledgement. At the end of um, 
was it Family of Blood? Uh, mm-hmm. We had the Doctor and, and Martha and That's they right. were wearing poppies and they were at a Remembrance Day ceremony. And that yes. was that was beautiful. And I, I do really like that scene. Gorgeous. But it seems way more sort of heavy handed. Like it's Remembrance Day. The Doctor's there, you know, <laughs> look, mm. wear a poppy kind of thing. Than this episode, this was much more subtle. But I think just yeah. as powerful in its own way. Yeah, very much. Yeah, no, this is this ranks up there definitely as one of the best. Uh, I think with Rosa of this season for sure. Yeah, look, I I think so too, and I think when I reevaluate my score on it, it's probably one of the few episodes that may even go up a little more. Yeah, right. Okay. Mm. Now, uh, Shane Rove joins us again for Demons of the Punjab. Demons of the Punjab, on my first viewing, I felt a bit flat by it. I felt all the acting was a bit wooden and stilted, and I just couldn't get into it. Mm. I watched it later in the day with my wife, and I'd done a complete 180. (laughs) Whatever faults I'd seen in the morning surely must have been due to being tired. Damn BBC showing these Sunday nights UK, no consideration for us Australians. (laughs) It was a fantastic episode, and this was reflected by yourselves and Rove and his Hoovian mates and most other people I've heard chat about it, mm-hmm. including me. I loved it. I do think this justifiably pushes out Rosa just as the season's best because the villain, Manesh, was much more fleshed out and believable. Yeah, Brilliant okay. TV all round. And mm. I've been praising the music all season, but this score was a cut above, especially the end credits. Struth, Doctor Who is an awesome show. <laughs> well, well said, Shade. Um, yeah, I, I love this one from the from the start. Uh, great to see that you did a 180 on second viewing there, Shane, because uh, I reckon this one's going to rank as one of the you know the best Doctor Who episodes uh, of recent times. Absolutely. And for people wondering what he means by Rove and his Whovian mates, there is a TV program in Australia called Whovians, which uh, last series aired straight after Doctor Who. This time it's all a bit messed up and it's on a different channel to Doctor Who. And uh, don't don't get me, you know, going too deep into it. Basically, it's a, uh, a TV host and comedian who uh, likes Doctor Who very much. He gets mm. together with some friends and they talk about the episode. It's kind of like a podcast, but on television. <laughs> It's not entirely my cup of tea, I've got to say, because it does have to appeal to a fairly broad audience and it's got a lot of jokes and, you know, humour in it and it doesn't always land. So it's not really my thing, but I I am glad that there's a TV show on where Whovians talk about Doctor Who. I mean, that's just wild, you know? Yeah, representation is reality. So it's good to see it in that regard for sure. Okay, so we have Peter Dedman. He says, finally, I found an episode I could get excited about. Rosa was good, but the villain was silly. This, on the other hand, looked lovely, had some fantastic guest performances, and the regulars were good too. Graham again was the star of the uh, team, but contrary to Dave's view, I quite liked Jodie in this episode, excluding the wedding service, which I agree was pretty bad. I also liked the inversion that the aliens were there just to observe. Though, didn't we have a similar story in Capaldi's last Christmas special? Regardless, I like that it was humans and our inability to forgive and understand who were the real villains. Yeah, I've just got to jump in, Steve, because I just remembered, yes, the last Christmas special, I was trying to think of the name, and it was Testimony, wasn't it? That's right, yes. Do, does this mean these these guys, these ex-assassins, bump into Testimony every time someone's going to die? <laughs> oh, what, look, what's going on? to think about it. You know, there's three Atlantises in Doctor Who and God knows whatever else, so <laughs> I'm just going to let that one quietly slide. <laughs> okay, but well, well raised, Peter, well raised. <laughs> Uh, That's infinitely better than the campy aliens using ray guns on people. Overall, the top story. But there is one thing that confused me and which I was expecting. That is, how does the grandmother not recognise Yaz? I was sure Mm. at the end she would reveal that she knew it was Yaz all those years ago and was waiting for the moment for them to be in sync to talk to her about it. Now that, I think, would have been lovely. Uh, But no, no recognition or discussion of it ever. Also, since Prem was not her grandfather, is it assumed that Umreen hooked up with someone off-screen? I think it could have been more interesting if they had their wedding night and so she was actually related to Prem, but her grandmother had kept that quiet. Ooh, okay, interesting. Um, I do agree on um, that little moment that I kept expecting it too, towards the end, the grandmother and Yaz, and yeah, there's that sort of, I don't know, that reference at the beginning of the episode, how Yaz is her favourite granddaughter. Yeah, and I, I, that I, was I, funny. and it, <laughs> it was funny, but I expected the payoff to that to be exactly what's, um, what Pe- um, Pete's talking about here. 
Yeah, look, I think at the end of the episode, and it's, it's obviously a couple of weeks since I've seen it now, there was a line like, do you want me to tell you about it? And Yaz was like, oh, mm-hmm. no, don't worry. And I thought maybe that's really subtly trying to be, Ooh. I know you were there, oh. you know, will we talk about it? No, we don't have to. And there's an there was maybe there was meant to be an acknowledgement there, but if if that was meant to be it, it wasn't very well done. <laughs> well, okay, no, I, I didn't pick up on that, but now that you said it, maybe that that actually makes a lot of sense. And I guess the subtlety is there, and I appreciate that. But maybe I, I'm still I'm still here with um with Pete when he says this. I think it probably would have paid off better if we if we did have the actual sort of acknowledgement at the end. Yeah. Oh, look, I agree. And with regard to Prem being her grandfather, I think uh-huh. that could have been quite nice, although it might have just complicated the episode a bit, you know, if they had to have the wedding night and, like, strongly suggest they were having sex and she got mm. pregnant and, you know, and, and all this. It just might have been a little bit too much in the story, but it would have been nice if she was related to Prem and then got to actually meet him and all of that. Yeah, true, yeah. Anyway, moving on to the most recent episode, we've had Kablam!, Shane Rove says, From the trailer, I was concerned. I thought, this is our Delta and Bannermen for the series. Our <laughs> love and monsters. Our Feast of Stephen. Our season 14 to 16. Ooh. But no. <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> I, I thought this was actually quite brilliant. Look, not perfect. There are a couple of things that I thought were a tad inconsistent. But overall, I'll give this a pass. Plus, we had a proper baddie too, which was welcome and unexpected. I didn't pick him, which is good. I don't want to outguess the show. And Lee Mack was great. I thought, oh grief, comedic silliness would ensue. But no, he gave a restrained, believable performance Mm. and I was genuinely touched at the end when Yaz wanted to go and visit his daughter. That was nice. I can't wait to listen to what you guys thought. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really realise that Lee Mack was a, a comedian. So, um, you know, to me, I, I guess, you know, seeing the reactions of people sort of saying, you know, exactly the same thing that Shane has here, that, you know, Lee's, uh, you know, comedic silliness, I guess, was restrained, um, didn't occur to me. I just I just bought him as a character. Oh, you've, you've never seen him on the million panel shows he's on no. in the UK? <laughs> really? <laughs> not, oh, okay. Yeah, not really my thing. Ah, okay, yeah. Well, to me, I, I knew very much as a comedian. I was wondering what he'd do with the role, and he was restrained. It was great. Hmm. Yeah, I agree, definitely. We got another one here from Peter Dedman, and it's uh, for Kablam. He says, "Hi guys, another fine episode. Not perhaps as good as Demons of the Punjab, but probably my second favorite. And I certainly did not expect that going in. Going into this, I was worried it would be a black and white, big business is evil polemic, which seems to get thrown around. Instead, what we got was a good deal more interesting." In the end, it's almost a mirror of Robots of Death, except this time the mastermind is an advocate for organics rather than machines. A lot of little pointers to Doctor Who lore, from the mention of Ag- Agatha Christie to the Fez and more. I like the Doctor this week, uh, doing her investigation. She's best when she's actively doing something rather than standing around being quirky. Yes, I think this is what you were alluding to earlier, mm. Rob, wasn't it? Yeah, About the purple absolutely. Uh, the rest of the crew got things to do. Even Yaz did slightly more than normal. The guest cast was good, though I found Kira a bit wet, uh, a bit of a wet hen, and although she was fine here, I'm glad she isn't going to be a reoccurring companion. As for the rest of the series, it is trending up and the ratings trend down. I'm inclined to agree that much of the problems at the start of the season can be laid at the overuse of Chibnall as a writer of too many episodes. Next week might be interesting because if there's ever a time to make a point of the fact that the Doctor is now a woman, it's in the Stuart Witch controversy. He's hoping it's a good episode. Mm. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, look, I, I liked... I mean, Dave and I didn't even get into the fact the Fez was in this episode and, and the mention of Agatha Christie. It's, it's crazy, actually, when we do these hot takes, we talk for almost 50 minutes basically the length of an episode Hmm. and there are still bits we we don't even get to um you know i I like the agatha christie reference i I didn't mind the fez although i did think gosh you know this kablam mob must be a bit rubbish at delivery if it's taken from smithy (laughs) to uh jody to finally deliver i wouldn't want to be waiting if i'd bought someone something for christmas but uh put that aside (laughs) Yeah, no, look, I, I enjoyed the references too. I think they're there uh, for fans, and whether they're New Who fans or previously, 
um, you know, from, from Classic Who. Um, and there definitely were illusions. Like, I got a huge Robots of Death vibe, so it was great to see uh, Pete's written in around that as well. But they're not vital to the plot. Like, if you if they went over your head or you didn't catch them or, you, you know, I don't know, you were making tea or something and you missed it, it wouldn't. It doesn't add or detract anything from the plot. So this is this is the kind of continuity references that I I quite enjoy. It's there. It's fun if you uh, you know recognize it, but it's not a vital part of the uh, the storytelling. Yeah. Oh, look, precisely right. Uh, the Doctor is mentioned at several points during the series. People she's met or things she's done, mm. and to us as as long term viewers of the show, we know what's real and what's fake. But to someone else, it could all be real or it could all be fake. You know, it just it just doesn't matter. Did she really meet Agatha Christie? If you never saw the episode, you don't know. You just think, oh, well, she did, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, 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 it was a really, really good episode. I I think I might even skew it back towards an eight when I, when I rescore it. Especially after I see the next few episodes, I think that's when I really can see where they all sit in relation to each other. Yeah, because I, I mean, this so. this next episode could be could be absolutely amazing with the setting and with Alan coming in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it it could set a new benchmark. Who knows? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm. This is what I was saying before that I think you, until we get to see all of uh, the series, uh, we won't really sort of understand in terms of the tra- the trajectory of the the storytelling across the the ten stories. But also, we won't actually get to know how the ten sort of sit side by side, and and you know whether they're a seven out of ten or a five out of ten or a nine out of ten. I don't think that sort of perspective comes until we've got that that overview over the whole series. And uh, and of course, the uh, the email there from Peter also mentioned. Chibnall possibly writing too many and you know I I hate sounding like a broken record but I just stand by that you know I just think yes write the first one maybe the second one write the last one but give give the other writers a go um when you look at the first five or six episodes his his fingerprints are like all over all but half of one of them it's 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 a lot to have written yeah, I remember last time we chatted, Rob, you sort of said, you know, is is this uh, the hallmark of Chibnall? And I, d- I didn't want to be so uncharitable, but I think you were proven right. <laughs> well, you know, if we go back to, uh, well, look, as recently as Series 10, um, Stephen Moffat wrote the pilot, but then Smile, Thin Ice, Knock Knock, Oxygen yep. were not by him. That's right. He, pop- he popped in for Extremis. And then co-wrote the one after that, and then disappeared again for *Lie of the Land*, *Empress of Mars*, and *Eaters of Light* mm-hmm. before he popped in again. So I, that's the kind of thing I'd like to see: pop in, write a story, let some other writers have a go, come back later. You know, because as Dave pointed out, Dave's point of view is it's not a problem that he writes so many episodes. It's just when you put them all in a row, they become very samey because it's the same author's voice sure. in them. Yeah. No, I that, think that's right. the way Dave sees it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think Dave's right there. I think one of the great things about Doctor Who is that one week can be something, and then the next week is something entirely else. But if you have that uh, continuity of writer, or uh, you know, like it, whether it's the trilogy or you know whatever, um, or you you lose that. You lose that sort of flavor and, the, and that mix of flavors that I think is what is a real strength of the show. Yeah, absolutely. And look, to, to take this Series 10 analogy even further, you go back to Series 9, and Moffat was much more involved. He wrote the first two, he had a couple of episodes off, then he popped back, had a couple off, then he was back, had a couple off, and then he came back for another two. So he wrote more in that series, and arguably Series 9 wasn't as well received as Series 10. So mm. even if we take Chibnall out of the equation, you know, just having a showrunner writing less, like Moffat did in Series 10... It seems to work. Yeah, no, I take that point. Look, I'm going to sort of defend uh, Series 9 at this point, but I will say this. <laughs> I think I think the job of being essentially the showrunner of Doctor Who is kind of like an amalgamation of, you know, back in the classic era, the producer plus the script editor. It's too big a job for one man or one woman. So to give that kind of responsibility where you're writing, you know, half of the scripts for the se- series... Uh, to one person, plus all of the stuff that they need to do on the production side, I just think that's too much of an ask, and you're gonna you're gonna burn out. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I, I completely agree with that. And one of the earlier letters 
said, you know, who was there to rein him in? Mm. And I joked, well, no one no was one. there. Um, <laughs> and But that's actually the truth, because yeah. who is reining him in? There is a script editor on Doctor Who these days, but I believe they're more administrative in nature. They're not a script editor like Robert Holmes was a script editor. Yeah, or, I think that's you know, the truth, Eric yeah. Saywood was a script editor. Mm, yeah, someone who has that sort of unifying vision, that is the showrunner, and that, that showrunner is also an executive producer. It's a massive, massive job. Yeah. I do get frustrated. I, I wouldn't mind going back to the days of a producer and a script editor, you know? <laughs> I think that could be quite interesting. You know, what if what if a team of a team of two people got together and did that? You know, would would that be acceptable in modern television or does it have to be a showrunner? I guess two people run Game of Thrones, for example. Yeah, no, I think I think there's something to be said for it. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, like in a football management sort of duo, you have one person who's the front and the other person who's like the brains behind. Um, you know, the coach on the field who's doing all the work with all the players and the manager sort of does the team selection and, you know, there's the, the more administrative stuff and the high-level stuff. I don't know, I think that could work. I, I like that idea a lot. Mm. Yeah, look, it obviously won't happen in the Chibnall era, but, you know, maybe mm. one day again we'll see it happen. Because you're right, it is a hell of a lot of work. Um, I'm surprised Moffat did it for so long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think Stephen Moffat has on his side the fact that he's a genius, <laughs> and I and I don't say that lightly. I genuinely believe that he's a televisual genius, and you know, not all of his scripts were great, but um, I think that's more so uh, an artifact of the you know insane amount of workload that that. Um, that showrunner of Doctor Who has to sort of get through than than a reflection on Stephen Moffat um, as as a writer. Oh, look, I was going to say that, you know, and the proof of that is back in the RTD era where he just had to submit scripts. Uh, they they just knocked it out of the park every yeah, time. Every time, it's true, <laughs> yes. Yeah, good call. <laughs> and the fact that he could still knock it out of the park at least half of the time when he was showrunner shows, um, yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, exactly. And even towards the end, you know, you get something as amazing as uh, World Enough and Time. That is the third last episode he wrote. Oh, look, I know. And and don't get me started on how much I wish that had been Capaldi's regeneration episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I might be with you there. Yeah, and we, and we could have introduced Jodie at Christmas and it could have been fun, but oh no, we had to have... Hartnell appear and oh my god yeah although don't. I don't I don't think that's Moffat's choice I think you know that's just the sort of mechanics of, of the BBC and in terms of uh, handover to to different producers um, yeah you know it just needed to be a clean slate and you know at a different point in time yeah agree so look Steve we're up to episode 7 now of the series we've, we've talked about different episodes throughout this podcast how how are you feeling as we look towards these last three um i am the eternal optimist um so i'm really looking forward to them i think i prefer to sort of dwell on what uh has you know surprised and pleased and and come off well over the last few episodes than than the negative but like i do feel um, it depends it depends on what day you ask me, I guess. But I th- I, there is a part of me that sort of feels that there, the promise of the, the of series eleven, you know, all of the, uh, you know, the fact that we had a brand new doctor, a brand new um, producer, um, you know, showrunner, uh, everything was new. I'm not sure the promise of all of that has been entirely fulfilled. And and again, it's it's probably because we're sort of halfway through, or you know, in the middle of uh, series eleven, and I don't have that perspective that I'm able to really sort of come to a conclusion and. And that will come in time, and whether I'll be more charitable or whether I'll be more, um, you know, critical of it, I, I still can't really tell. But um, there, there's a big part of me that obviously wants to see this succeed, and I feel like it's succeeding on many levels. And then there's another part of me that sort of says, "Oh, I'm not sure about this," or at least certain aspects of it. I think what it boils down to is the the, the way in which the story seemed to be. Um, developed in the way that they sort of play out is that there doesn't seem to be that kind of uh, strong moment for the Doctor in each of them that I think is really required and mm. I might sort of go on a tear here and you might have to stop me but effectively, no, no, please. effectively with the casting of a female Doctor particularly at this point in time with you know sort of neoconservative politics and Trump and all the rest of it I think what we, we needed that and it's a great bold move and I think Jodie is a perfect actress to sort of inhabit that role but I'm not sure that the stories always give her the opportunity to pr- prove what that kind of doctor could do. So 
you know, we, we've said before, this is almost like a Davison-esque doctor in, the so, in a sort of kinder, softer approach. And I don't want for that doctor and that kinder, softer doctor, the Davison kind of doctor, if you like, Rob, to be, mm. to be taken as weak. I, I, I don't believe that kindness is a weakness. I want to believe in, in the hero like the doctor, you know, like, like um, you know, the Davison doctor, I guess. It's exactly what we need at this point in time. I honestly believe that. But I don't know if the stories are always letting that um, come to pass. I mean, we have, you know, a number of things in each of the episodes that sort of just undermine maybe the possibility for that. So if, if this is a show and a hero for 2018, then I think we need to, to show things like her tearing down Robertson's hotel empire and having him be held account for his crimes rather than, you know, he sort of just walks off screen and that's the end of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he just wandered away. <laughs> yeah, he did. And, 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 you know, there wasn't anything that was um, mentioned around Kablam's sort of Amazon-esque work practices, I guess. You know, that was kind of let slid. It wasn't overplayed at all. Um, we need to have those sort of parallels in the show, those Trump and Amazon kind of parallels, you know, defeated in some way, I guess. You know, shown up that they're not, um, you know, going to um, just walk away off into the sunset as they seem to be. Um, with this doctor and I don't think we're getting that instead we're getting stories that kind of amble along sometimes and sometimes they're they're low stakes and maybe sometimes they're not even particularly engaging problems and there's no platform at the end at the conclusion upon which we can sort of stand that example of this is the better way to do it and this is the best hero that we have that can show us that better way and I don't Mm. know I don't know where it's going to go but I guess to go back to the issue I, I don't think it's Jody. I think that instead it's the stories and the constituent elements of them. Like we, They need to be shaped so as to, I guess, allow for that drama to be conveyed in a way that allows for the Doctor to be seen to stand for what Doctor Who has and always um, you know, has, has believed in and fought against. I want to show that... I want the show to show that, you know, it's got that massive beating two hearts and, and we get it sometimes mm. and that's what's so frustrating. You know, we get it in Demons and we get it in Rosa and I don't know if it's just there... Uh, as a consistent theme and I, my biggest fear I guess is that you know I don't want to get to the to the end of series 11 and think I don't know is this it like did we, did we have an enormous opportunity and kind of not quite fulfilled it and maybe maybe that's where I'm standing on it right now do you want to see an episode like the family of blood that's going to end with you know the doctor bound this person in chains and dropped him into the heart of a star and and you know my sister got stuck in a mirror and now i'm a scarecrow for the rest of eternity and you know do you do you want it to be like a hard hitting sort of thing like the doctor is really tough and really grabbed these bad guys and did something to them is it that sort of thing you mean um look i'm a massive fan of of family of blood human nature but it doesn't have to be that like we don't need to see an angry vengeful or even just a little bit cross doctor i think what we need to see is a doctor who is kind and that kindness wins in some way and dramatically i'm not sure that's being conveyed right now yeah look i i I hear you on that count for me it's like I, I read a lot of people talking on, on Twitter and, you know, Facebook. And, and these aren't crazy people because no. I don't follow crazy people. <laughs> yeah. I've, got, I've got no time for crazy people. You know, the, the, the crazy people decided Jody would be no good about a year and a half ago. Mm. And, and, you know, I've never worried about them since. These are people who are like, I think Jody's great. I'm enjoying the show. But mm. they, they all say a variation of it just doesn't feel quite right and I can't put my finger on it. This is what most of them say. Yeah. And this is kind of the area we're in perhaps here with this conversation that it's it's Doctor Who, but it's not quite doing what it could do. Not At least not all the time. Like I walk away from Rosa and Demons of the Punjab punching the air and then I just sort of scratch my head after Tsaranga Conundrum or Arachnids and sort of think, what just happened there? Did we? What, I don't understand how we can go from that to that in one week. Well, I don't understand how Chris Chibnall can go his whole life wanting to write Doctor Who and, you know, Arachnids is one of the first scripts he coughs up for it. I, I don't get that at all. Mm, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think I'm kind of the same, same point of view, yeah. It does seem like I'm bashing Chibbers and I don't mean to, but I can only go on what's in front of me and that's that the episodes that haven't been written by him have tended to be the ones I've thought were better. Rob, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm not, I'm not standing here as a critic of Chibnall. I haven't sort of thought, well, he wrote 42 and that underwhelmed me, so therefore Series 11 is going to underwhelm me. No, no, no. This is, this is the guy who wrote Broadchurch and United and The Great Train Robbery. I want to see more of that. 
Yeah, and look, in Torchwood, he wrote Countryside, yes. which absolutely scared the bejesus out of me. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, folks, if you haven't seen Countryside, uh, go and watch it. Just don't do it with the lights off, you know. It's, <laughs> it's really scary. Yeah, I agree. It's brilliant. Yeah, well, look, that's that's interesting, Steve. And that, as I say, takes us to episode seven. We've got three more to go. Yeah. And that episode will wrap up, you know, the next few episodes and a New Year's Day special. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can maybe look back on all this and try and make sense of all this madness. Yeah, yeah. And again, like I say, I'm optimistic. I really do believe in the promise of this next episode in particular. I think, you know, dropping a female doctor into... Uh, you know, which um, hunt sort of territory and, and, and time zones is, is a great idea. It needed to be done. Uh, and I have no idea what's coming up in the episodes after that, but I'm really hoping that when it comes to a season finale, we get something as amazing as Broadchurch. Mm. Yeah, look, one of the things I was saying when we first knew we were getting a female doctor, one of my very first points was, oh, this will be interesting when they go back in time yeah. because, you know, the the woman in the group won't be as well regarded as the men and will they defer to the companion if the companion's male sort of thing. And although we, we have gone back in time, the eras haven't been too incompatible sure. with female characters. But this one, yes, this one could be. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be like really high stakes dramatically here. You, you're dropping a, a character who, you know, flashes around a sonic screwdriver and has knowledge of science far in advance of the Middle Ages. What happens when you put that into, like, as I say, like a witch hunt sort of uh, context? That is going to be, I hope, very, very suspenseful, very dramatic and has an incredible payoff at the end of it. Yeah. Well, look, fingers crossed. Mm. And uh, all that leaves me to do is to say, Steve, where can people find more of you? Oh, okay. All right. So I'm on the New To Who podcast uh, with Dan and uh, we are at New To Who podcast. We can also, you can also catch us on www.newtowho.com and also on your podcatcher of choice, New To Who. Yeah, very recommended, folks. If you haven't tuned into New to Who before, and this is your first time hearing uh, Steve on the podcast, please tune in. There are some great episodes, particularly the ones with Dave and myself on them, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but many others as well. That's very kind. Thanks, Rob. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us tonight, Steve. Oh, my pleasure. And until next time, I've been Rob. And I've been Stephen. And we'll see you then. Be seeing you. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights for the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.